Section 17 of Captain Singleton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Dennis Sayers. The Life, Adventures, and Piracies of Captain Singleton by Daniel Defoe. Section 17. Accordingly, we went about ship, got our larboard tacks on board, set the top gallant sails, and crowded for the Bay of All Saints, where we came to an anchor early in the morning, just out of gunshot of the forts. We furled our sails with rope yarns, that we might haul home the sheets without going up to loose them, and, lowering our main and foreyards, looked just as if we had lain there a good while. In two hours afterwards, we saw our game standing in for the bay with all the sail she could make, and she came innocently into our very mouths, for we lay still till we saw her almost within gunshot, when, our foremost gears being stretched fore and aft, we first ran up our yards, and then hauled home the topsail sheets, the rope yarns that furled them giving way of themselves, the sails were set in a few minutes. At the same time slipping our cable, we came upon her before she could get under way upon the other tack. They were so surprised that they made little or no resistance, but struck after the first broadside. We were considering what to do with her when William came to me. Hark, thee, friend, says he, Thou hast made a fine piece of work of it now, hast thou not, to borrow thy neighbor's ship, here, just at thy neighbor's door, and never ask him leave. Now, dost thou not think there are some men of war in the port? Thou hast given them the alarm sufficiently. Thou wilt have them upon thy back before night, depend upon it, to ask thee wherefore thou didst so truly william said i for aught i know that may be true what then shall we do next says he thou hast but two things to do either to go in and take all the rest or else get thee gone before they come out and take thee for i see they are hoisting a topmast to yon great ship in order to put to sea immediately, and they won't be long before they come to talk with thee, and what will thou say to them when they ask thee why thou borrowest their ship without leave? As William said, so it was. We could see by our glasses they were all in a hurry, manning and fitting some sloops they had there, and a large man of war and it was plain they would soon be with us. But we were not at a loss what to do. We found the ship we had taken was laden with nothing considerable for our purpose, except some cocoa, some sugar, and twenty barrels of flour. The rest of her cargo was hides, so we took out all we thought fit for our turn, and, among the rest, all her ammunition great shot and small arms, and turned her off. We also took a cable and three anchors she had, which 
were for our purpose, and some of her sails. She had enough left just to carry her into port, and that was all. Having done this, we stood on upon the Brazil coast southward, till we came to the mouth of the river Janeiro. But as we had two days the wind blowing hard at south-east and south-southeast, we were obliged to come to an anchor under a little island, and wait for a wind. In this time, the Portuguese had, it seems, given notice over land to the governor there, that a pirate was upon the coast, so that when we came in view of the port, we saw two men of war, riding just without the bar, whereof one, we found, was getting under sail with all possible speed, having slipped her cable on purpose to speak with us. The other was not so forward, but was preparing to follow. In less than an hour they stood both fair after us, with all the sail they could make. Had not the night come on, William's words had been made good. They would certainly have asked us the question what we did there, for we found the foremost ship gained upon us, especially upon one tack, for we plied away from them to windward. But in the dark, losing sight of them, we resolved to change our course, and stand away directly for sea, not doubting that we should lose them in the night. Whether the Portuguese commander guessed we would do so or no, I, I know not. But in the morning, when the daylight appeared, instead of having lost him, we found him in chase of us about a league astern. Only, to our good fortune, we could see but one of the two. However, this one was a great ship, carried six and forty guns, and an admirable sailor, as appeared by her outsailing us, for our ship was an excellent sailor too, as I have said before. When I found this, I easily saw there was no remedy, but we must engage, and as we knew we could expect no quarter from these scoundrels, the Portuguese, a nation I had an original aversion to, I let Captain Wilmot know how it was. The captain, sick as he was, jumped up in the cabin, and would be led upon the deck, for he was very weak, to see how it was. Well, says he, we'll fight them. Our men were all in good heart before, but to see the captain so brisk, who had laid ill of a calenture ten or eleven days, gave them double courage, and they went all hands to work to make a clear ship and be ready. William, the Quaker, comes to me with a kind of a smile. Friend, says he, what does yon ship follow us for? Why, says I, to fight us, you may be sure. Well, says he, and will he come up with us, dost thou think? Yes, said I, you see she will. Why then, friend, says the dry wretch, why dost thou run from her still, when thou seest she will overtake thee? 
will it be better for us to be overtaken farther off than here much as one for that says i why what would you have us do do says he let us not give the poor man more trouble than needs must let us stay for him and hear what he has to say to us he will talk to us in powder and ball said i very well then says he if that be his country language we must talk to him the same must we not or else how shall he understand us very well william says i we understand you and the captain ill as he was called to me william's right again says he as good here as a league farther so he gives a word of command haul up the mainsail we'll shorten sail for him accordingly we shortened sail and as we expected her upon our lee side we being then upon our starboard tack brought eighteen of our guns to the larboard side resolving to give him a broadside that should warn him it was about half an hour before he came up with us all which time we luffed up that we might keep the wind of him by which he was obliged to run up under our lee as we designed him when we got him under our quarter we edged down and received the fire of five or six of his guns by this time you may be sure all our hands were at their quarters so we clapped our helm hard a weather let go the lee braces of the main topsail and laid it aback and so our ship fell athwart the portuguese ship's house then we immediately poured in our broadside raking them fore and aft and killed them a great many men the portuguese we could see were in the utmost confusion and not being aware of our design their ship having fresh way ran their bowsprit into the fore part of our main shrouds as that they could not easily get clear of us and so we locked after that manner the enemy could not bring above five or six guns beside their small arms to bear upon us while we played our whole broadside upon him in the middle of the heat of this fight as i was very busy upon the quarter-deck the captain calls to me for he never stirred from us what the devil is friend william a-doing yonder says the captain has he any business upon deck i stepped forward and there was friend william with two or three stout fellows lashing the ship's bowsprit fast to our mainmast for fear they should get away from us and every now and then he pulled a bottle out of his pocket and gave the men a dram to encourage them the shot flew about his ears as thick as may be supposed in such an action where the portuguese to give them their due fought very briskly believing at first they were sure of their game and trusting to their superiority but there was william as composed and in as perfect tranquillity as to danger 
as if he had been over a bowl of punch, only very busy securing the matter that a ship of forty-six guns should not run away from a ship of eight and twenty. This work was too hot to hold long. Our men behaved bravely. Our gunner, a gallant man, shouted below, pouring in his shot at such a rate that the Portuguese began to slacken their fire. We had dismounted several of their guns by firing in at their forecastle, and raking them, as I say, fore and aft. Presently comes William up to me. Friend, says he very calmly, what dost thou mean? Why dost thou not visit thy neighbor in the ship, the door being open for thee? I understood him immediately, for our guns had so torn their hull that we had beat two port holes into one, and the bulkhead of their steerage was split to pieces, so that they could not retire to their close quarters. So I gave the word immediately to board them. Our second lieutenant, with about thirty men, entered in an instant over the forecastle, followed by some more with the boatswain, and cutting in pieces about twenty-five men that they found upon the deck, and then throwing some granados into the steerage, they entered there also, upon which the Portuguese cried quarter presently, and we mastered the ship, contrary, indeed, to our own expectation, for we would have compounded with them if they would have sheared off, but laying them athwart the hawse at first, and following our fire furiously, without giving them any time to get clear of us and work their ship, by this means, though they had six and forty guns, they were not able to fight above five or six, as I said above, for we beat them immediately from their guns in the forecastle, and killed them abundance of men between decks, so that when we entered, they had hardly found men enough to fight us hand to hand upon their deck. The surprise of joy to hear the Portuguese cry quarter, and see their ancient struck, was so great to our captain, who, as I have said, was reduced very weak, and with a high fever, that it gave him new life. Nature conquered the distemper, and the fever abated that very night, so that in two or three days he was sensibly better. His strength began to come, and he was able to give his orders effectually in everything that was material, and in about ten days was entirely well and about the ship. In the meantime I took possession of the Portuguese man-of-war, and Captain Wilmot made me, or rather I made myself, captain of her for the present. About thirty of their seamen took service with us, some of which were French, some Genoese, and we set the rest on shore the next day on a little island on the coast of Brazil, except some wounded men who were not in a condition to be removed, and whom we were bound to keep on board. But we had an occasion afterwards to dispose of them at the Cape, where, at their own request, we set them on shore.
Captain Wilmot, as soon as the ship was taken, and the prisoners stowed, was for standing in for the river Gennaro again, not doubting but we should meet with the other man of war, who, not having been able to find us, and having lost the company of her comrade, would certainly be returned, and might be surprised by the ship we had taken, if we carried Portuguese colors, and our men were all for it. But our friend William gave us better counsel, for he came to me. Friend, says he, I understand the captain is for sailing back to the Rio Janeiro, in hopes to meet with the other ship that was in chase of thee yesterday. Is it true? Dost thou intend it? Why, yes, says I. William, pray why not? Nay, says he, thou mayst do so if thou wilt. Well, I know that too, William, said I, but the captain is a man will be ruled by reason. What have you to say to it? Why, says William gravely, I only ask what is thy business, and the business of all the people thou hast with thee. Is it not to get money? Yes, William, it is so, in our honest way. And wouldst thou, says he, rather have money without fighting, or fighting without money? I mean, which wouldst thou have by choice, suppose it to be left to thee? Oh, William, says I, the first of the two to be sure. Why then, says he, what great gain hast thou made of the prize thou hast taken now, though it has cost the lives of thirteen of thy men, besides some hurt? It is true thou hast got the ship and some prisoners, but thou wouldst have had twice the booty in a merchant ship, with not one quarter of the fighting, and how dost thou know either what force or what number of men may be in the other ship, and what loss thou mayst suffer, and what gain it shall be to thee, if thou take her? I think, indeed, thou mayst much better let her alone. Why, William, it is true, said I, and I'll go tell the captain what your opinion is, and bring you word what he says. Accordingly, in I went to the captain, and told him William's reasons, and the captain was of his mind that our business was indeed fighting when we could not help it, but that our main affair was money, and that with as few blows as we could. So that adventure was laid aside, and we stood along shore again south for the river de la Plata, expecting some purchase thereabouts, especially we had our eyes upon some of the Spanish ships from Buenos Aires, which are generally very rich in silver, and one such prize would have done our business. We plied about here, in the latitude of blank south, for near a month, and nothing offered, and here we began to consult what we should do next, for we had come to no resolution yet. Indeed, my design was always for the Cape de Bona Speranza, 
and so to the East Indies. I had heard some flaming stories of Captain Avery, and the fine things he had done in the Indies, which were doubled, and doubled, even ten thousandfold, and from taking a great prize in the Bay of Bengal, where he took a lady, said to be the great mogul's daughter, with a great quantity of jewels about her, we had a story told us that he took a mogul ship, so the foolish sailors called it, laden with diamonds. I would fain have had friend William's advice, whither we should go, but he always put it off with some quaking quibble or other. In short, he did not care for directing us neither, whether he made a piece of conscience of it, or whether he did not care to venture having it come against him afterwards or no, this I know not. But we concluded at last without him. We were, however, pretty long in resolving, and hankered about the Rio de la Plata a long time. At last we spied a sail to windward, and it was such a sail as I believe had not been seen in that part of the world a great while. It wanted not that we should give it chase, for it stood directly towards us, as well as they that steered could make it. And even that was more accident of weather than anything else, for if the wind had chopped about anywhere, they must have gone with it. I leave any man that is a sailor, or understands anything of a ship, to judge what a figure this ship made when we first saw her, and what we could imagine was the matter with her. Her main-top mast was come by the board about six foot above the cap, and fell forward, the head of the top gallant mast hanging in the foreshrouds by the stay. At the same time, the peril of the mizzen-topsail yard, by some accident giving way, the mizzen-topsail braces, the standing part of which being fast to the main-topsail shrouds, brought the mizzen-topsail, yard and all, down with it, which spread over part of the quarter-deck like an awning. The fore-topsail was hoisted up two-thirds of the mast, but the sheets were flown. The foreyard was lowered down upon the forecastle, the sail loose and part of it hanging overboard. In this manner she came down upon us with the wind quartering. In a word, the figure the whole ship made was the most confounding to men that understood the sea that ever was seen. She had no boat, neither had she any colors out. When we came near to her, we fired a gun to bring her to. She took no notice of it, nor of us, but came on us as she did before. We fired again, but it was all one. At length we came within pistol-shot of one another, but nobody answered nor appeared. So we began to think that it was a ship gone ashore somewhere in distress, and the men, having forsaken her, the high tide had floated her off to sea. Coming nearer to her, we ran up alongside of her so close that we could hear a noise within her, and see the motion of several people through her ports. 
Upon this we manned our two boats full of men, and very well armed, and ordered them to board her at the same minute, as near as they could, and to enter one at her fore-chains on the one side, and the other amidships on the other side. As soon as they came to the ship's side, a surprising multitude of black sailors, such as they were, appeared upon deck, and in short terrified our men so much that the boat which was to enter her men in the waist stood off again, and durst not board her, and the men that entered out of the other boat, finding the first boat, as they thought, beaten off, and seeing the ship full of men, jumped all back again into their boat, and put off, not knowing what the matter was. Upon this we prepared to pour in a broadside upon her, but our friend William set us to rights again here, for it seems he guessed how it was sooner than we did, and coming up to me, for it was our ship that came up with her, friend, says he, I am of opinion that thou art wrong in this matter, and thy men have been wrong also in their conduct. I'll tell thee how thou shalt take this ship, without making use of those things called guns. How can that be, William? said I. Why, said he, thou mayst take her with thy helm. Thou seest they keep no steerage, and thou seest the condition they are in. Board her with thy ship upon her lee quarter, and so enter her from the ship. I am persuaded thou wilt take her without fighting, for there is some mischief has befallen the ship, which we know nothing of. In a word, it being a smooth sea, and little wind, I took his advice, and laid her aboard. Immediately our men entered the ship, where we found a large ship, with upwards of six hundred negroes, men and women, boys and girls, and not one Christian, or white man, on board. I was struck with horror at the sight, for immediately I concluded, as was partly the case, that these black devils had got loose, had murdered all the white men, and thrown them into the sea, and I had no sooner told my mind to the men, but the thought so enraged them, that I had much ado to keep my men from cutting them all in pieces. But William, with many persuasions, prevailed upon them, by telling them that it was nothing but what, if they were in the negroes' condition, they would do if they could, and that the negroes had really the highest injustice done them, to be sold for slaves without their consent, and that the law of nature dictated it to them, for they ought not to kill them, and that it would be willful murder to do it. This prevailed with them, and cooled their first heat, so they only knocked down twenty or thirty of them, and the rest ran all down between decks to their first places, believing, as we fancied, that we were their first masters, come again. It was a most unaccountable difficulty we had next, 
for we could not make them understand one word we said, nor could we understand one word ourselves that they said. We endeavored by signs to ask them whence they came, but they could make nothing of it. We pointed to the great cabin, to the roundhouse, to the cook-room, then to our faces, to ask if they had no white men on board, and where they were gone, but they could not understand what we meant. On the other hand, they pointed to our boat, and to their ship, asking questions as well as they could, and said a thousand things, and expressed themselves with great earnestness. But we could not understand a word of it, or know what they meant by any of their signs. We knew very well they must have been taken on board the ship as slaves, and that it must be by some European people, too. We could easily see that the ship was a Dutch-built ship, but very much altered, having been built upon, and as we supposed, in France, for we found two or three French books on board, and afterwards we found clothes, linen, lace, some old shoes, and several other things. We found among the provisions some barrels of Irish beef, some Newfoundland fish, and several other evidences that there had been Christians on board, but saw no remains of them. We found not a sword, gun, pistol, or weapon of any kind, except some cutlasses, and the negroes had hid them below where they lay. We asked them what was become of all the small arms, pointing to our own and to the places where those belonging to the ship had hung. One of the negroes understood me presently, and beckoned to me to come upon the deck, where, taking my fusee, which I never let go out of my hand for some time after we had mastered the ship, I say, offering to take hold of it, he made the proper motion of throwing it into the sea, by which I understood, as I did afterwards, that they had thrown all the small arms, powder, shot, swords, etc., into the sea, as I supposed those things would kill them, though the men were gone. After we understood this, we made no question, but that the ship's crew having been surprised by these desperate rogues, had gone the same way, and had been thrown overboard also. We looked all over the ship to see if we could find any blood, and we thought we did perceive some in several places. But the heat of the sun, melting the pitch and tar upon the decks, made it impossible for us to discern it exactly, except in the roundhouse where we plainly saw that there had been much blood. We found the scuttle open, by which we supposed that the captain and those that were with him had made their retreat into the great cabin, or those in the cabin had made their escape up into the roundhouse. But that which confirmed us most of all in what had happened was that, upon further inquiry, we found that there were seven or eight of the negroes very much wounded, two or three of them with shot, whereof one had his leg broken, 
and lay in a miserable condition, the flesh being mortified, and, as our friend William said, in two days more he would have died. William was a most dexterous surgeon, and he showed it in his cure, for though all the surgeons we had on board both our ships, and we had no less than five that called themselves bread surgeons, besides two or three who were pretenders or assistants, though all these gave their opinions that the negro's leg must be cut off, and that his life could not be saved without it, that the mortification had touched the marrow in the bone, that the tendons were mortified, and that he could never have the use of his leg if it should be cured. William said nothing in general, but that his opinion was otherwise, and that he desired the wound might be searched, and that he would then tell them further. Accordingly, he went to work with the leg, and as he desired that he might have some of the surgeons to assist him, we appointed him two of the ablest of them to help, and all of them to look on, if they thought fit. End of section 17, read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California, for LibriVox.